Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks. I'm your host Connor Maxwell. Today I'm joined with Stuart Moyer, who is a Bicentennial Education Fellow for Maury House School of Education within the University of Edinburgh. Stuart tells us about how he got involved in CLD in the first place, when his experience of being a school-based youth worker and so much more. So Stuart, could you tell us just a wee bit about yourself and your career in CLD so far? Uh, well, th- hi, Connor, and thanks for um, inviting me to uh, to talk. Um, so, uh, I'll maybe start off just um, seeing where I'm from, maybe. I'm, uh, as my accent might um, uh, betray, I'm uh, from Edinburgh, born and bred in Edinburgh, in the uh, kind of Gorgidorai area, which most people who know uh, will know that's the best part of Edinburgh, of course. <laughs> um least uh, most of all because it's the home of um, uh, Tencastle Stadium, the Hearts uh, in the Hearts ground, which will probably loom large in this conversation. Um, so I, yeah, I grew up, kind of went to school in and around the Gorgon Dorai, uh, went to Tencastle High School. So, um, and when I say when, I was a bit of a bad truant actually, so um, I didn't really attend uh, yeah. very much. I spent most of my time actually looking over, because in the the, the top story of the, the high school um, that at Tynecastle Park, if you know it, one of the ends is called the school end, and it's called the school end literally because the school was just over the wall. Yeah. Uh, so before they built the big stand, you could you could um, the, the, the top uh, classrooms looked over into the cl- into the uh, the pitch. So I spent most of my time looking at uh, the Harp Stars trainer, Donald Ford and Alan Anderson and Kenny Aird and various other people like that. But anyway, such a better um, view than my high school. <laughs> well, it depends. I suppose it depends what your football team is. Obviously, for me, you know, uh, I come from, you know, my everybody in my family kind of uh, is from and around Gorgie and all went to Tynecastle High School. So, so uh, you know, um, it's in the blood. But I, I imagine if you were for another persuasion, it would be like looking into hell. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I, so I went, so I said I went to uh, school. I was a pretty bad student, but I kind of left in mid 70s. Uh, I sat lots of O-grades but only got one, uh, an A-pass in metalwork, which is appropriate because I went on to be a, a to be a motor mechanic. I got an apprenticeship. Those, those were the days at the kind of tail end of the, what was called the Social Democratic Consensus, uh, where uh, one, of the, one of the key things about that uh, period was the commitment to full employment by all governments. So uh, relatively speaking, certainly in relation to today, Jobs were kind of for young people in particular were kind of easier to come by. So I got an apprenticeship, you know, within kind of weeks of leaving school, uh, and served my time, as they say, as a, a an apprentice for four years uh, on the tools. Um, I spent my time working on cars like uh, Minis and Austin Arreglos, Arreglo, Allegros, Morris Marinas. <laughs> Austin princesses, none of these cars exist anymore. But anyway, I served my time, and then three years, alongside that, three years doing day release um, at uh, college, doing my sitting in guilds. Uh, I did that, I served my time, and um, you know, did that for about eight years, but realised by this time that I was needing more money. I was married by this time and had a child, uh, one son and another one on the way. Uh, and you know needed to get more money basically mm. and ended up working on the buses uh, loading region transport I uh, did that for three years um, and then I managed to get an opportunity to go back to education but I'm going to come back to the reasons for that uh, later because they're relevant I think to um, to uh, I you know thinking about education but I went to to um, 
a, a place called Newbattle Abbey College, which is uh, Scotland's only uh, adult residential college. So people who don't have any qualifications can go there for a year. It's a full-time course. It used to be two years, actually. Uh, you stayed in the college if you wanted to, and uh, providing you passed all the exams, uh, it gave you guaranteed entry to, to universities. So I, uh, I did that for a year. Um, got the qualifications I needed to, to go to university. So I went to Edinburgh, studied um, politics and social policy as an undergraduate. And then uh, immediately afterwards, I did that for four years, and then immediately afterwards did a postgraduate course in um, adult and community education, which was effectively the, the qualification to, to let me enter the profession. Uh, so that's kind of sort of background. So then in terms of my career in um, what was then called community education, CLD, uh, my first job was with the uh, Lothian Region Council's education department mm -hmm. uh, as a community education worker in a community high school. So I worked in the community high school in uh, West Lothian in Livingston, a place called Dean's Community High School. Uh, so I worked there for about um, 10 years as a it was a generic post, so I did kind of youth work, I did adult education, I did community development. It was a great post. And again, I'll maybe come back to talk a bit in more detail about what I did yeah. uh, later. Uh, and then about the 2000s, I, I got a job as what was called an integration manager uh, in what was then called the new community school initiative. So I'd worked in an old community school, and then I now was working in what was called the new community school initiative which came out just at the 2000s uh, and it was it was the Scottish Parliament's kind of attempt to challenge poverty and exclusion. Uh, some people remember that well, that initiative. And it was effectively a kind of coordinating role. It was kind of based around uh, high school clusters. And it was about kind of coordinating, bringing together all the professionals that worked in that area, you know, social mm -hmm. workers, teachers, aid sites, you know, everybody, education, welfare officers. Um, and, you know, worked with the community to try to, uh, you know, maximise the work that was done to focus on uh, benefiting the kind of lives of young people and families. So I did that for a couple of years and the kind of initiative sort of petered out, really. And then I managed to get a job as a senior comrade worker uh, in the council again. And all of this is with the council. Yeah. Uh, I um, worked with, uh, I worked, I got a job as a senior a comrade worker responsible for youth participation, mm. uh, which was effectively about supporting young people to, um, you know, learn about democracy and, and develop their own organisations and influence decision making processes. You'll, you'll be familiar with the, uh, the role. There's many kind of posts throughout Scotland that, that, that do that kind of thing. And then uh, in 2000, so I did that up until 2012, and then in 2012, uh, this post came up at Murray House uh, titled Bicentennial Education Fellow which was basically, um, Murray House had been a separate institution for a long time, and that's traditionally where community education was kind of taught. Uh, and it, it joined with the university in the early 2000s. Uh, and in the past, what would happen if you wanted to become, you know, an academic at Murray House, then you usually were a practitioner in the field, and then you would come to work as a lecturer. Uh, but the university's kind of position is you have to have a doctorate to teach. So that meant that, um, you know, Comed workers, teachers, social workers are less likely to have these, you know, qualifications. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of was almost like it was cutting off um, the supply of uh, kind of lecturers that had practice experience, which is crucial if you're going to teach on a professional programme. So they created these posts at Murray House, which was basically a kind of lecturer's post. 
So all the kind of teaching that you would do, all the things you would do as a, a lecturer in university, but also uh, alongside that you would study for a doctorate, for, in this case an MD. So uh, I applied for the post, some people suggested I might be good at it, I, I went for it and I got it, bizarrely. Uh, and I've been there ever since, really. So I, uh, so, you know, uh, my day job, and I'm there now, my day job is, um, you know, is, is a, is a, well, it's technically a teaching fellow, but I mean, it's a lecturer's role. You kind of, you, you develop lectures, you kind of teach, you run tutorials, you, you know, support students in every way that you can, and you do all the other, all the other things that, that lecturers do, but alongside that, I was studying for a doctorate, uh, and I was I was successful to to kind of gain the doctorate uh, this time last year, about May I think last year, uh, I became a, a a doctor. So that's uh, that's me really, I suppose. And yeah, so stop the of my career. Do I think it's, it's I think it's really interesting how you've went from obviously then being hands-on role to, from mechanic then the buses and then working your way to getting a doctorate, which, you know, is probably at that time when you were on the tools, when you <laughs> when they thought about anything like that. So it's amazing just how people's life experience sort of changes and it develops into that sort of position. Um, how, how did you find doing the doctorate? Um, I think, well, by the time, I mean, obviously it's not, you, you don't, you, you're just not starting from a stand and start, you know, it's, I kind of developed it over kind of the years and obviously, I, I mean, I have a, I have a, a an undergraduate degree and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a postgraduate degree. So, so, you know, I was familiar with kind of academic discourse and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I was able to cope, I think, reasonably well, but it's a massive kind of step up. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt about that, you know, and uh, particularly when you're having a kind of a doctoral level, become familiar with the research kind of literature and, and uh, that can be, that, that sends you mad sometimes when you're <laughs> thinking about ideas like paradigms and, you know, what your epistemology is and ontology. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I... I um, I kind of uh, grasped that okay and was uh, successful in the because the ED is is um, it's not just like a PhD where basically students go in and they end up doing research and mm. whatever else. It's actually the first uh, two years as a as a top program. So there's five top courses uh, that you have to uh, get over sixty percent, I think, in, in each of the essays in order for you to progress to the. Uh, research part so uh, that was a good kind of training so that kind of, and it's designed specifically for mid-career professionals so I was I was kind of studying alongside people that had been teachers well obviously it was a, it was a doctor in education so it mainly was people from uh, you know who had an education background and mainly teachers uh, there was one lad that was uh, a doctor actually um, he was the second <laughs> doctorate but certainly um, uh, it was hard work in terms of trying to study uh, and do all the other work. I mean, the idea was that these posts that I got were meant to be three days mm -hmm. kind of lecturing and two days um, being a doctoral student. And of course, you know, that was in theory, but I never ever worked in practice and you ended up doing more. And I ended up taking on much more kind of uh, responsibility. I became programme director for the programme, uh, for our community education programme for five years so of course that just kind of eats up the time totally. uh, so I ended up I was kind of working at weekends and at night times um, on the doctorate uh, and yeah. of course you have a family life to I mean I've got four kids now and, and four grandkids as well as, as my, my wife so you know trying to balance all of that was a bit of a challenge 
Uh, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. But no, amazing. It's it's great to hear. Um, I think when people are successful in that, and I think yeah. for me, a PhD and doctor, it's like so far away, and it's <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible when um, I think it's more. I mean, feat. yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I mean, I think that. I mean, for me, it's more. I mean, it sounds like it's this huge intellectual task, and you know, there's no doubt that there is part of that. But I think it's much more an exercise in perseverance and <laughs> keeping going than it is. You know, that's as much as what it's about. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I think the other thing would be because I was interested, I, mean, I, I, I maybe, maybe get on to what my thesis was about, but uh, it was almost like I think the culmination of my life's work. Uh, yeah. It was about um, why, why people become politically active and what helps them become politically active. How do they learn about democracy? And that's been a theme that's kind of run throughout my whole life. I've been interested in these ideas. So the fact that you've got something that you're really passionate and interested in, that, that's the kind of centre of your study that kind of drives you forward, I think, is a key as well. Because, you know, if, if it's something that you've not got an interest in, you'll never ever do it in the first place. And if you do, you'll never ever persevere. You know, where I felt I had, a, had something I wanted to say, and that, that kind of drove me in some ways. But certainly, yeah, it was a it was a kind of hard kind of task, and I take my heart off to my wife. I think she's, you know, it's as much her kind of achievement as it is mine. I think uh, for all the support that she she gave me. Yeah, no, that's brilliant, man. So then, well, well, I think then that we'll, suppose we'll get into maybe so a wee bit of the thesis and sort of a bit more of your background. So then, why did you initially decide a career in CLD so far, and uh, no, decide <laughs> a career in CLD? Yeah, Do you know, I was thinking about this. Um, after the invite to, to to chat and the one thing that stuck in my head and this sounds incredibly corny and I have to say I'm not a fan of this at all but <laughs> I remember watching uh, the Harry Potter films with my, with my uh, younger children when they were wee and there's that idea there's something about the wand and there's something that about how when when they go to get the wand uh, to that shop and the person in the shop says to them it's no the wand chooses the wizard no the other way around and I think you know some of that's like doing education that I think the career chooses you rather than you choose the career. Because I, up until um, I think the year before I did my postgraduate course, I wasn't aware of what was then called community education. Do you know, I didn't know anybody that worked in the field. Uh, I certainly had never attended, as far as I knew, a youth club when I was uh, younger. Uh, I hadn't been involved in adult education as far as I was concerned. You know, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, so, um, but what I think was interesting when I was kind of looking back on things was that um, uh, my formative, a lot of my formative experiences <laughs> were actually in, broadly speaking, what could be called community education work. So in some ways, I was kind of almost predestined, you know, to, to end up being a, uh, to, to being a community education worker. Uh, and I think, as we'll hear, some of my form of experiences are very similar, I think, to lots of people in the field who have, you know, similar experiences, and that's what led them to to the to the profession. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, and I, I think it's a, it's really interesting. Some that that idea of the the one chooses the wizard because you know it totally is true. Like, I don't think a lot of people grow up going, "I'm going to be a community worker. I'm going to be a." and that it's how you are it's the experiences that you have yeah. that lead you to that point that really sort of get you there there's not a lot of people that go no this is what i'm going to be and this is what i'm going to do yeah yeah i mean certainly i mean i, I mean one of my experiences um 
I mean, I suppose, but starting immediately how I got into it, I mean, my uh, two of my uh, friends uh, were, were studying the uh, community education course at Murray House um, at the same time I was an undergraduate at Edinburgh. Uh, and they began, so that's the first time that I'd become familiar with the term community education. And the more they talked about kind of what they were studying and what they were doing, I thought, well, that's, that's quite interesting. You know, that's interesting. And then actually, um, one of my, uh, somebody who I'd been at New Battle with and then had been at university with, had left a year earlier and had did the postgraduate course that Abbott wanted to do the, the next year. So within that, within that year, um, I began, I began to become familiar with what community education was about, and particularly, you know, the professional kind of aspects of it. And that's when, you know, kind of clicked that, oh, this, this could be a profession. I could get a job doing this. And that kind of attracted me. Um, but in terms of looking back, in terms of some of my experiences, kind of, I think it's clear that, um, you know, I was a good candidate for going on to be a comed worker later. So, for example, uh, I, I talked about being a, a really bad truant at school. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the two times that I would always go to school would be on a Friday, because I was, for, I think from about second year, I was captain in the school football team. Uh, so Friday mornings is when they put the notice on the board about who were playing at the weekend. So I would go to check to see if I was playing, and if I was, where were we playing about? So I was always there on a the Friday. Mm -hmm. And the other time was a Monday. A Monday afternoon, uh, there was a, there was always uh, there was this kind of um, outdoor education project that I got invited to take part in because you know I now know I was seen yeah. as being a young person at risk of exclusion. Uh, so there, there was a group ran by a, a PE teacher actually who run the football team as well. A great guy, uh, really, really. And looking back, I can see how he was really a progressive teacher. He was really committed to young people and supporting them. So he ran this this group with, you know, a whole range of kind of young people, you know, misfits and whatever, you know, people who obviously young people for some reason were kind of struggling. Uh, so I was asked if I wanted to take part and I thought, yeah, great. And they, so he just put us in a minibus and took us out hill walking one week and canoeing another week and, you know, um, beach combing or orienteering. I mean, you know, spent the time um, uh, doing that. Uh, and of course, I loved it, you know. Because um, I don't think at that time it was it was academic necessarily, um, so that I loved kind of that. And the other thing that we did on a Monday, other than that, was um, I was asked if I would take part in uh, this other project, uh, which involved me um, going from Tynecastle up to the city centre uh, to attend what was called a uh, Davy Street Special School, which. And again, now looking back in hindsight, I can see that it was a it was a school. It was a, basically a drama therapy and kind of a music kind of um, project that again, you know, was designed to work with young people at risk of exclusion. So I I went there every Monday uh, for a while and did you know as I say drama and bits of music and we did art and various things like that. Uh, so at the time, I didn't think anything of it. You know, I thought it's okay, but. You know that was fine, but it's clearly there'd be there would be youth workers working there as well as kind of teachers. Uh, and it was only when uh, when I was when I was doing social policy, I was reading something about um, what was then called intermediate treatment that became youth strategy, and I realised oh hold on that's what I did when I was when yeah. I was at school. You know, uh, so clearly although I thought well you know that's nothing to do with comed. Clearly you know there, there were people in the profession that were involved there. So I suppose in that way I was kind of 
I was, uh, even though I didn't go to a youth club, I was clearly involved in these kind of youth support activities that are, you know, the, the kind of, you know, a core part of some of the work that we do today with schools, you know. Yeah, definitely. And, it's, and it still is, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's loads of these programmes that we, we are currently in the process of finalising just some of the ones we are going to be facilitating. But that, that that's that's so cool that you can reflect back on for you, the position that you were part of these programmes, unaware of the sort of bigger picture. And now you're such a big partner of the bigger picture of, of yeah. obviously teaching students yeah. and everything <laughs> that you've sort of done and being based yeah. in the community high school, working with the yeah. young people that sort of was what you were doing at the time, you know. It's, I know, it's, 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 well, that's it. I mean, it's really crazy. I mean, there, there's two, there's a funny story about, about uh, going to the school, actually, that I, uh, shall I, have we got time to, I mean, of course, I, we've got, we can talk about whatever we want. Right, so, but, but, so, um, and the context here is, this is me being the really bad truant, right? So, um, this group happened on a Monday afternoon. So, Tynecastle High School, you know, it's a bus journey away from the city centre, you know, a 15 minute, bus journey away uh, to where the school is. So I got, um, so the deal basically was that, um, uh, sorry, I'm just going back, going back stage. Um, and again, I'm going to be referring back to what seems like the old days. So people who are a lot younger are going to be thinking, God, this is like uh, the, the good old days. Uh, but in, the, in those days, uh, all the uh, bus companies were owned by the councils. So in your case, Lothian Region Transport ran the buses. It was a council department. Uh, and um, so, for example, if schools wanted to go on trips uh, in the city centre or whatever else, then they used to use the buses. And, use, and, and how they paid for it was basically Lothian Region Transport gave tokens, wee plastic tokens, to the schools. So the school office had this big kind of drawer full of tokens that when you know the teachers were taking young people out on trips or whatever, they would just get a bag of tokens and then you would go on the bus and you just put the tokens to give it to the conductor. That's how it worked, you know, it didn't cost anything. Yeah. So um, that, that's the context. So then for me then, I got, I, I was I was asked if I wanted to be part of this group that, that was up at Davy Street and I thought, oh yeah, why not? So, so the deal was basically after lunch every Monday, I had to report to the school office, right? So this is, this is me, the school truant. So I report to the school office. I was given a plastic, two plastic tokens, one to get me to David Street and want to get me home and basically I was told right go to the top of the road get a bus into town and you know that's it so basically I was given a free pass to yeah. head into town myself so the opportunity to abscond clearly was um uh, was there which I thought was bizarre that you know I'm the school truant and I'm going here because I'm a truant but you're basically letting me out the school today what I want you know and, After and, I did go. <laughs> and, and just trust them that you're going to turn up. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe a couple of times I probably thought, oh, I'm just going to go into the tune. Uh, but I did go most of the time. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, but what was even more bizarre, I think, was when I got my first job uh, as a community worker in the community high school, what, what, was, what was interesting, I thought, was I had came from a background of adult education. So, you know, I, I didn't see myself as a youth worker. I didn't know anything about youth work necessarily. Uh, but the job that, uh, the way the job was structured that I applied for was much more focused on youth work. And one of the kind of key things that uh, was part of the job was to be involved in youth strategy. And of course, that meant, you know, working with guidance teachers and social workers and education welfare officers uh, to, to support young people at risk of being excluded from schools, from the school or community. And I ended up doing, you know, one-to-one -one work and group work with, with uh, these young people. <laughs> it was then it dawned on me. Jeez, these are the same guy. This, this is me. You know, I'm working with myself, my teenage self. You know, um, so yeah, that was a bit 
a bit bizarre. Yeah. Um, so, so then, how, how did you um, how did you find sort of transitioning into from being a practitioner into your current role? Well, as an academic, yeah, as an yeah. Gosh, that that was kind of I don't know really. I suppose it's it's um, I suppose it was a bit of a challenge because. You know, I went from because I'd spent you know twenty years in the field, so um, you know, I, I'd done a whole range of kind of jobs, and I felt you know I was a confident, you know, I'd served my time, I'd kind of I knew the job, I, you know, I had loads of experiences, uh, and I felt that was kind of um, by that time I was a senior worker, so I was kind of supporting you know other staff, and mm -hmm. I was I kind of you know I'd I'd, I'd kind of. Um, overseen and kind of technically managed the projects and stuff like that, you know, small projects. Uh, so I felt reasonably confident as a practitioner and of course you end up going from being a, you know, competent, confident practitioner to being an academic and of course I felt like I was back being a first year apprentice again. Uh, you know, I didn't not, not quite been been made to make the tea and clean the <laughs> clean, clean clean the lecture rooms uh, as you did when you were a when you were an apprentice. But um, you certainly, you know, I felt kind of uh, almost de-skilled. I had to kind of, you know, I wasn't a comed worker anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you could obviously apply, you know, and particularly when you're working in tutorials and stuff like that. Then you know, you were, you know, applying a lot of the kind of you know, the kind of educational skills that you developed, pedagogical skills you developed over the years to help people kind of, you know, think about things and to, to teach them. But, um, you know, uh, generally speaking, a lot of the kind of role that an academic takes on is different from being a comed worker. So that was a bit of a kind of challenge for me. But I think what kept me going was that, um, you know, I have, you know, I'm here because I've got this kind of experience in the field uh, and, uh, you know, and I, I, as we all did, and obviously I learned from kind of much more experienced colleagues and, you know, respected colleagues in the field, you know, they'd written and researched about uh, this field for, for years and years and years, so I learned from them. But certainly I found it difficult to make that transition uh, and build up the kind of confidence to be, you know, the lecturer that I am uh, today, if you like. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to, and I think if you, I mean, I think we'd all kind of know, if you, if you think that you know everything, then you know there's a problem uh, and actually the, the the more that you kind of the more you you find out the more you read the more you more experiences you have quite often the more you you know you don't know yeah, no, you know it's, it's that kind of that vanishing horizon i feel like yeah because i think yeah, it's general, difficult I think that, it's really, i i think i think it's it's quite interesting and, and I've, I've had a few sort of um, people in your role in this but I think it's really interesting from being sort of a hands-on practitioner into that sort of transition and how how people initially feel and what maybe happens in that sort of time because obviously when we're in if we're in community centres or youth centres and we're doing all that work it's very hands-on and you're in it whereas then I know there's a lot more yeah. background stuff that probably people don't really appreciate that people in your role really need to do and yeah. there's, there's loads more stuff that has to sort of happen it's not just coming in and teaching a class there's yeah. all this extra stuff that's yeah. incredibly yeah. complex and difficult that then it's like putting into that position so it's just I just I, I like to ask it when there's a um sort of someone in your um, position because yeah. you know it's it's difficult, really, really difficult, and for how to adapt to that as well. I think, yeah, I mean, it is, I mean, 
Yes, it's a it's a challenge. No more challenging than other kind of jobs. But I mean, just you know, we were talking earlier on about how you some you know the your your plans for the day get relayed because a young person's got a kind of crisis you've got to deal with. But that's the same, you know, that's the same for us. I mean, you know, and particularly in the kind of the cohorts of students that we teach, you know, often and again, you know, they are the you know this is I'm going to come back on this other part of my kind of way into comment, but you know the the, the majority of people that uh, come on our programs tend to be from non-traditional backgrounds, i.e., you know, they didn't come from fame, you know, their families, uh, people in the family quite often haven't been at university, so mm -hmm. going to university, they're the first in the family to be there, so there's no that tradition of, you know, what that means. They tend to be more mature learners, they sometimes kind of have, you know, uh, various challenges, they've got family commitments and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, we don't necessarily have the, your traditional kind of 18 year old student who succeeded really well at school, the photo fit of that person who comes, you know, from a middle class family that's, you know, I'm not saying everybody's like that, but, you know, they've no got necessarily the, the kind of baggage that some of our court would come with. So we have to deal with that, you know, on an ongoing basis. So you've got this plan. So I think in that sense, then, it's no different from what I did when I worked in the school. You know, you responded to a young person or, or an adult's kind of situation, you dealt with that. And, and you know you deal with it hopefully in a way that was kind of empathetic and supportive so we, we still do that, that that kind of thing so these skills are still are still there i think yeah um, so that's an I, interesting I, way to look at it because then you're essentially yeah. still practicing as well but just not in a sort yeah. of the context that you would think about yeah i think there is there is i mean um there is a there is a challenge i mean you know uh, and there's lots of kind of literature, and I think as, as academics, we've kind of talked about this a lot, uh, that there is a distinction. So you, you get students coming in who are who are being, who want to be community educators, uh, and, you know, the core of that's about informal education. But um, the context or the kind of, the, the, the contradiction is you're learning that in a higher education context, which is not informal. Uh, and actually there's a series of kind of, you have to pass exams or you pass essays, you've got to meet all the kind of regulations. So there's a real challenge where you want to try to uh, apply the, the the kind of pedagogical approaches and the kind of theoretical ideas that inform the profession, but in a, in a, in a higher education context that cuts across that, you know, it's a much more formal kind of setting. So there's a real kind of contradiction there, uh, but we try our best to kind of manage that contradiction. Uh, but you know, um, uh, you know, for example, a lot of the program is not negotiated with the students in advance. Some of it is, you know, how we kind of operate sometimes can be. But you know, the learning outcomes, the you know, the kind of the, the mode of assessment, quite often is just is, is is set, and students adopt that as they do in formal schooling. So that's almost like the opposite of what we do as community educators. You know, we're about working with people. We're you know their interests, their kind of passions, their needs inform the educational approach we take and the outcomes that we want to aim for, you know. So there's always that kind of contradiction and that's a bit of a challenge to balance. Uh, but we do, our, I think we do our best. But the other thing I think is, is, a, is a criticism that we've, it's always uh, aimed at uh, academics, that we're stuck in our ivory towers and, you know, you know, uh, well, I've, I've been, I've been thought, nearly 10 years in this job. So therefore, you know, I've been out of the field for 10 years. So what do we know now? You know, things have changed. Well, okay, you know, my experience is not as direct as yours, but, um, you know, A, I've worked in the field for 20 years before that. So I got a sense of what's happening. And also, you know, we talk to practitioners all the time. You know, we, 
we go, we, we visit uh, placements, we kind of do kind of placement reviews, we kind of have practitioners in talking about their work, you know, we, you know, conduct research in the field. So it's not as if we are completely kind of isolated. Uh, we do know, um, we do know the field. Um, so it's not as if we're completely kind of isolated. But yeah, certainly we're different, you know, we, we aren't county educators. Yeah, definitely, and, and I think I think the the uh, the placement visits were always been when I was at uni anyway. There was always good fun because it was it was like that thing. Um, I suppose it's you're you're getting out for the day. You're getting to see practice. You're getting to see young people. You're getting that chat, and but then you also are, are gaining that experience for all the students that you're working with. So you're getting to see lots more yeah. um, different different types of youth work, different types of adult education and different yeah. sectors. So actually then for you're getting a, a broader sort of knowledge of what's going to run about in a wider scale rather than I suppose maybe just locally, yeah. which I think is yeah. really cool. And I suppose, well, I don't know if he's obviously do this, but then being able then to reflect on that and actually see what's happening in loads of different places is, is also a really unique experience. It's, it's certainly, yeah, I mean, it is useful um, and we do reflect on it and I'm, I hope that it does kind of inform our teaching, it informs kind of, you know, the types of research that we want to do, the kind of, you know, the inquiries that we're interested in uh, and obviously, hopefully, the, the work that we do supports the field as well. I mean, there needs yeah. to be that, certainly that kind of um, reciprocal relationship uh, you know, we rely, you know, because in that sense, I mean, I think as, as you know, um, it's always a partnership, you know, we are part of the field uh, and, and you know, practitioners and us together are the gatekeepers to the field, you know, you know, we, we uh, in some ways kind of judge whether students are fit to practice because, you know, we kind of guide them through their kind of degree and, and the, 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 the meet the learning outcomes of all the courses in the programme as a whole, uh, but equally so in partnership with the field, you know, they're on placement three times, in your case, three times out of their degree, you know, substantial placements in which they're um, being, uh, their kind of competence is being judged by the by the, the field. So yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's always a partnership. We do slightly different things, but, um, you know, it's all focused on how we can make the profession, you know, better and effective, I think. Yeah, definitely. How's the pandemic sort of impacted on, um how you guys have worked and operated, and especially even in terms of placements? Um, that's been a challenge, certainly. I mean, I, I think the, um, in some ways, the, I mean, I know that the pandemic has affected the field, you know, mm. um, uh, substantially. I mean, I think that's probably an understatement, actually. I mean, the reality is, you know, at, at one point, I think uh, very few uh, agencies were were actually, you know, a lot of their staff were on furlough uh, and, and some agencies certainly from the Lothians area have ceased to exist as a result of the kind of the, the pressures that came to bear but we've not been as as, uh, as badly affected as that I mean obviously the significant thing was everything had to be taught online so we had to move very quickly from you know being in a, a room in Murray House with a group of students interacting to to doing it as we're doing now on mm. online and that was a kind of a, a challenge without a doubt and all the kind of anxieties that uh, come with that, you know, students uh, were, you know, we're living through this pandemic ourselves, we're all kind of actors in this, but we're all kind of, um, you know, uh, being exposed to the virus and so on, having to deal, you know, how our families and ourselves, our health going to cope with that. Uh, and then, of course, all the anxieties about um, uh, a lot of them, a lot of students kind of were, weren't confident at using online technology and 
so on. So yeah, it was a kind of real challenge for us. Uh, we did what we can, we did what we we, we could to, to to support students as much as we we can. You know, I'm sure um, we could have done more, but certainly we did as, we did what we could. But um, the biggest challenge, I think, for us was the whole issue of trying to find placements because mm. there were very few on offer at that time. Um, you know, agencies just couldn't. And either um, the agencies were working, but they had been reorganised and their work had been refocused in such a way that they just didn't know how they could accommodate a student. Uh, and, 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 you know, they were making a judgement that it wasn't going to be a fruitful and worthwhile experience for them. And rightly, they thought, right, we can't offer uh, yeah. placement. Some did. I mean, I have to say that there's a couple of agencies that did work all the way through, uh, you know, one in particular, a homeless, uh, the homeless um organization crisis were able to offer uh, placements right away they they just moved online so they did a lot of their kind of teaching online another agency uh, in Falkirk that uh, was was directly involved in um, supporting their, their community in terms of food supplies and medicines and so on uh, so a student was able to get a, a placement with them uh, and that was the same in another couple of agencies but certainly uh, I, would have th I, I, I think that the supply of placements had kind of significantly dried up uh, and, and actually, we're still kind of experiencing these uh, challenges just now. There's still not the same amount of uh, placements that there was. Uh, yeah, I think it's difficult, especially when things aren't fully 100% either capacity. So it's, I suppose, the organisations as well need to ensure that their staff are, have got enough work before yeah. then trying to then include then if there's yeah. is there enough for, for um, a fruitful yeah. experience for a placement because you don't want to also just have somebody who's just sitting about when there's yeah. not as much that they can really get involved in properly which is an extremely Absolutely. hard balance and hopefully over the next um, couple of months if, if things get a bit better then um, there'll be more placement opportunities yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, uh, I mean, I wouldn't like to think, I mean, I wouldn't like to give the impression that students didn't go in placement, but were able to place all students. I think that was the case across all the institutions, yeah. you know, but were able to manage to get that. So colleagues in the field really, um, you know, despite these very difficult circumstances, were able to kind of provide uh, what were, you know, different placements, but, you know, students still had to kind of, you know, um, meet the competencies. They still had to kind of plan for their interventions and their work. They still had to kind of, you know, get involved in, in, in delivering, you know, teaching and working with groups. They still had to evaluate their practice. They still had to coordinate with others. So all the kind of competencies were still met, just it was on a different, slightly different kind of medium. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, and, and, um, you know, students, I think, got really um, worthwhile experiences at times. The other thing we need to take into account, of course, was the actual risk to themselves, because you couldn't send students to placements that, you know, potentially could have been risky for, for, for them and others. So, yeah, yeah it was uh, it was a challenge. But we're certainly, we're certainly um, I think, uh, coming out of that uh, together, you know, and, and um, the opportunities that... Um, that for the work that we do, I think, are going to be greater given the emphasis on, uh, you know, the role that community and community organisations played in, in supporting people during the pandemic and the kind of the, the talk about how we build back better seems to have a community response as, as a focus, you know, as, 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 um, as, a, as central to that kind of moving forward. So, that I think, and in every crisis, there's always opportunities, and I think that's a great opportunity for us as, as a professional field. Is, is uh, if 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 you think about if you think that community is the answer to things, 
it sometimes depends what the question is. But certainly, as a you know, if you think that the way in which we respond to this is through our community approach, then okay, that's fine. We know a bit about that. In fact, we could claim we've got particular expertise in that. So you know, give us give us the opportunities. So you never know. There may well be kind of a whole range of opportunities to kind of raise the profile of the profession. And, and you know increase the kind of uh, the, the jobs that are around and so on yeah definitely and I, I was speaking um to someone else on the podcast just sort of about that as well and i think it's that sort of optimism that what we're going to what hopefully um cld and community education and what we're going to be able to do hopefully within the next sort of um year few years is going to be massive because the role the role that we played in the pandemic was huge and it still is huge at the moment and what's been yeah. offered and what's doing so um how can we how can we build on that and also get this sort of recognition that there, this field is here and um because yeah. we always know that we're always the first cut and there's all these sort of different issues that happen but yeah. no we need to get a bit more focus and a bit more resource um, absolutely back in what we're doing so then um has there been any maybe memorable moments or maybe any highlights um that you've sort of maybe had in your career um, even if that then relates to the stuff that you've maybe written about in the feces and some of the practice that you've done yeah um yeah i think i mean in order to answer that i suppose i need to go back a wee bit and go yeah. back to that thing about how i didn't think i was involved in in community education but actually i was because uh, that i think can a uh, Certainly going back to my thesis, I can trace the, my interest in my thesis way back to this kind of period. So um, we talked earlier about how um, people come into the field in different ways. And, and I think, you know, there are there are people who come into the field because uh, they are, they're, they've been involved in, they were, you know, went to a youth club and they became a youth leader and uh, they become a part-time member of staff. And at some point they kind of meet something like you or I and they realise, hold on, this is your full-time job. You get paid for this. How, how do you how do that? You know, and then of course, well, you put to go to university and whatever. Uh, so they come in that way. So they've kind of been immersed in the kind of in in the field. You know, as a as a as a user, as a as a, as a participant, and they end up moving to be a a, a practitioner. Um, and then uh, there's another group. I think certainly um, when I came in at the profession. Uh, that were that came into it because there were uh, political activists, and they seen uh, the role of community education as being about um, as it st as it still is arguably uh, uh, focused on um, helping people to make their lives better, but also to kind of get involved in making society better. You know, I mean, the the standards council is quite clear about what the purpose of CLD is. It's about working towards social change and social justice. Uh, so I think uh, I was one of these people who um, my interest in community education came from my um, my political background, if you like, um, my, my background as, a, as an activist. Uh, and there is that, you know, if, if um, we know that there's kind of the, there's two traditions within the profession. Arguably, there's the, you know, there's the, what's called the reformist tradition, which is about working individually with people to try and make things better within the given, or the radical tradition, which is about you know working with people to try to identify what the kind of problems are, usually the kind of structural issues in society, and then working collectively to kind of make changes. Uh, to, to, to society and to the social relations and that, that inform society and so on, the kind of radical tradition. So I would, you know, very much be from that uh, side of things. But it stems from, you know, um, my own uh, 
kind of political awakening. My uh, my thesis was about um, why did uh, some young left wing people become politically active, mm -hmm. and and uh, one of the kind of um, reasons why people become politically active is because they're kind of socialize that there's, there's a kind of process of political socialization usually early on in their lives that they become they become introduced to politics and they become interested in politics and then become active in it. Uh, and so looking back, that's that was my kind of life. I feel like I mean I grew up in a a you know reasonable political family they weren't necessarily party members but certainly traditional kind of uh, labor supporting family so by the time i went to work as a motor mechanic i'd kind of knew you know what my values were i knew what you know roughly speaking what my politics was and then you know as as you do and and work you you start to talk to people and these conversations about you know the issues of the day come along and uh, you start kind of developing your ideas a bit more and and um so that happened to me and yeah. and where i worked you know i ended up kind of uh, increasingly becoming interested in kind of socialist ideas and uh, so there was a range of people in these kind of tea breaks we used to have where you'd be arguing you know if you weren't arguing about football or horse racing or whatever you know it'd be the kind of issues of the day you know and um you'd be talking about kind of politics uh, and uh, slowly but surely, I kind of became much more interested in left-wing politics, and you know, I started becoming a, a reader of the Morning Star, uh, Britain's only socialist daily paper, um, and uh, so I was becoming socialised, if you like. You know, I was yeah. becoming interested in these ideas, um, and uh, so by the time I was in my kind of late teens, I'd became a, a, certainly a. I, I was a fellow traveller of the Communist Party, became a member of the Communist Party a bit later and still am today. Uh, so that kind of informed my, my kind of thinking. Um, so by the time, by the time I'd kind of was on the buses and my kind of marriage had split up the first, I was at a kind of crossroads uh, and I'd realised that I didn't have a good education beforehand. Uh, I was, I was, you know, becoming much more interested in politics and the kind of, in the, the, uh, attitude of the party uh, was that you need to be as educated as you can be. You need to read these things, and of course, mm -hmm. you know, I thought I'm struggling here, or I need to know more. Uh, so I wanted to basically go to full time education. So I was able to go to uh, to Newbattle, uh, which kind of helped develop my kind of politics and so on. So by the time that by the time that I had kind of met my friends that were studying community education, yeah. I began to realise, oh, hold on a minute, this. This is, you know, this is about kind of working with people to think about how they can influence decision making, learn about democracy, and you know, becoming active in decision making processes and challenging kind of um, you know government policy and so on to make things better in communities. This was just like this is this is the job for me, you know. So that that was my kind of uh, route in. So looking back, so I did the adult education course, and I was kind of I was learning about. Um, you know, the history of the radical tradition, for example, about the really useful knowledge societies where people were sitting in groups in their workplace learning about the way things are. And I was thinking, well, that's exactly what I did when I was a motor mechanic, do you know? Yeah. I was in, the, in these wee kind of informal learning groups, adult education groups, if you like. So again, you know, I, I um, you know, uh, although I, I wasn't aware of it, I was effectively taking part in adult education. Of course, New Battle Abbey College is a, you know, a kind of key adult education provision. Mm -hmm. It still is in, in Scotland today. So again, I, I wasn't aware I was doing that, but actually I was, you know, if you like, preparing myself for this kind of, this entry into the community education profession. 
hope that yeah. be a bit kind of long. No, but, it, but you know, but I think that, but I think actually that it's quite a, it's quite a memorable moment in the. I think I think your journey to get here is probably quite similar to other practitioners yeah. that have um, came about, especially in that time as well. Um, but to be able then, I suppose, just to sort of, I think it's cool. You can really pinpoint all these different wee opportunities, which then has sort of got you to the the, the point of re going back into education and then yeah. becoming a community educator and then where you are now. I think it's really interesting being able to use your political background and that the skills that you've learned there to obviously then help others and sort of raising awareness of what yeah. For, yeah. like housing and loads of other things yeah. like what are people's rights what can yeah. you do how can it be better and, and doing all that sort of work as well and it, it's it's brilliant man but it's well to, to be honest with you it's your because um, well that was kind of sort of implicit and i'd never really kind of focused on it until the invite to speak and then you know being prompted by your questions <laughs> and i thought oh god i'm in it you know so it's your fault but i suppose i say that as a prefigure to because your question was what were some of your memorable moments in my career well of course um, these will only make sense if you understand that kind of background. So I came into the, the job, um, you know, with that kind of idea about I was going to use education to help transform the world, not just transform individuals, important though that is, or help individuals to transform. But also, uh, you know, I, I'm very much of the belief that um, you can't focus on the individual. We also need to focus on the structures that condition that. I'm not going too much into the kind of detail, but certainly, you know, we, you know, simply to kind of work on individuals as if they're the kind of source of the kind of the the, the difficulties is is misguided at, at best or deliberately misguided at best. Um, so obviously, I came in with a you know as a um, you know not to put too fine a point on that, a committed kind of communist, a Marxist, a Marxist analysis, you know, this is what I was kind of interested in. But lo and behold, the first job that I got was as a youth worker. <laughs> and I remember, and obviously the kind of adult education course that I did was very much, in fact, the two tutors were kind of Marxist as well. So, you know, I, I was in that, you know, I was, I was at home in that situation. Uh, and I remember, uh, so I was, you know, I was reading about Marx and Gramsci and all these kind of ideas and Paulo Freire and everything. Uh, which was great for me, you know, it'd be my life's work, if you like. And then I remember once I'd got the job, one of the first weeks in the job, uh, I, I was uh, sitting at my desk in my office having a laminate membership cards for the youth club. <laughs> Thinking <laughs> to myself, I don't, this was what I was meant to be doing, you know, I don't mind by doing this, uh, which was bizarre. But um, I think what I what I did was, uh, and new community, uh, community schools are a great opportunity. I think, I think um, the opportunities for uh, uh, workers in schools is just enormous mm. uh, and, and the kind of you know the opportunities to work uh, with with young people because that's where they are most of the time and to work in collaboration with others I think is just enormous so there are challenges that I might want to talk about in a minute or two but I went into that thinking right how do I apply the kind of what I think is the kind of purposes of the job and what I've been learning in my postgraduate course how do you how do I kind of apply that in my work as a comment worker uh, so I did. I mean, my I did a range. Of, I did a range of kind of things. I did. You know, I was responsible for the youth club and managing youth work staff, and I worked in the youth club two nights a week, and uh, I did a lot of work, as I said, in youth strategy as well. Uh, there uh, and uh, you know, there was a lot of challenges, but there was some memorable uh, occasions there. Uh, yeah. I yeah. Sorry, go on. 
Oh no, I was just saying, yeah, definitely. And I was I was gonna say um I, I was my first full time job also was based in a school. Great. So it was for do, for doing um Gfox. I was there for three and a half years or something like that. And, oh wow, right. Um, so you'll know the experiences. Eh? Yeah, totally. So to be fair, I think that, that'll be quite an interesting conversation for the challenges actually, I think that we can go back into but, Well, I think it's important to yeah, to talk about that. But I suppose one thing I would pick so I did all that kind of stuff, uh, and I did a range of adult education work um and uh, did some work that was briefly be described as community development. But uh, a couple of things that stick out that are consistent, I think, and, and goes back to you know my background would be that um I was asked, I was invited by I think after about a year or so, I was invited by the school to, if I would be interested in help to kind of set up the school's people council that had um, kind of fell away. Uh, so I thought, what a great opportunity. Cool. Uh, and, you know, if, 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 you know, what our job's about is about helping people to develop uh, a view of the world and helping them to kind of influence decision-making processes and develop kind of organisations and systems that can do that to work collectively, then, you know, helping students to develop a people council seemed to me to be a, a great opportunity. So I worked quite closely with a modern studies teacher that was again another great guy, uh, Gus McKenzie, an old kind of friend and uh, colleague. Uh, and um, to be fair, actually, he we both worked together on it. But he was he, he was kind of clear that Stuart, this is very much a community education role than a school teacher role, because our view was very much that it needs to be kind of led by the young people. It needs to be the young people's organisation. Because in the part, you know, the kind of criticism of people councils is that. You know, the students are handpicked, particularly in primary schools, and they are, and I've done a lot of work across the years on this. You know, the agenda is set by adults, you know, it's a talking shop and whatever. It doesn't really deal with real issues. So I was very, very much keen to develop an organisation that frankly resembled a trade union. You know, for me, I've seen the people council as a trade union for, for, for young people. And that's how we kind of approach this. So over the years, we've developed a system uh, that uh, uh, you know provided lots of training for young people to be reps, for example. We can organise the whole electoral process, so it was a genuine electoral process, and that's partly about how if young people learn, you know, young people, and this is another kind of theme that in my kind of I was always interested in uh, voter participation and did a lot of work on that. And, and one of the key things there is young people are the least likely to vote, and one of the reasons why they don't vote is because they don't know how to and they've never experienced that process. So we went about developing a, a process that mirrored exactly what happened in the real world. You know, we, and I worked with the electoral uh, registration people as well. Uh, so everything that we did during election day was exactly what happens in the real election. I also worked with the council's election team. Uh, so young people were learning that process um, and uh, ended up, ended up uh, in my work doing that across all the schools in, in West Lothian. We also kind of provided loads of training for the young people. Mm -hmm. We supported them ongoing and so on. So that was a real kind of um, uh, highlight for me, I think. And I, I believe the work is still going on uh, in schools in West. And I'm not saying that's unique. I mean, I know it's done in other places, but certainly for me, this was something that I'd, I'd kind of piloted in, in, the, in, in the deans. And that, of course, partly kind of led to my interest in my thesis. You know, I was... Yeah. I was interested in citizenship education. So, you know, engaging young people in the People Council is, is a good kind of a way to learn about citizenship uh, and, you know, decision-making processes and democracy. So that was that was a, um, a key bit of work for me, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think People Councils, when done right, 
can be amazing as well. Like, I, I think you, you, you did touch on that there, you know, I think with the right focus, with the right people and the giving them the opportunity to what that means. And we, we run, um, uh, it's user groups essentially, which is the same yeah. idea as a people council, but it's for the yeah. centre and they are, they are always so much more successful when it really is young people that are right interested in it rather than getting a couple of people together then it's the staff agenda that doesn't yeah, work exactly. but then when they're really involved in it and we give them the opportunity and do that properly with the yeah. right information then they think they they projects can be incredible um, yeah. and they've had real success in the past um, yeah, and it's exactly. something that we are going to be looking at trying to re-establish you know it's something that's not ran in our area for a wee while but something that we've yeah. discussed recently so yeah um, absolutely and the research i mean that i mean obviously i'm familiar much more familiar now than i was then even though i was kind of my, a lot of my work was that was doing there was informed by kind of research that was around at the, at the time so as well as a, as well as being i suppose in some ways kind of um, attracted to that work because of my background my political background and my interest in you know uh, young people becoming active citizens uh, i was also informed by uh, research uh, literature but yeah i mean the it's full of you know uh, how not to do it and how to do it. And certainly um, the benefits young people get when it's done right are enormous. It's quite clear uh, that's the case. Yeah, definitely. So then what about some challenges? Um, so I, th I think that the, the schools one might be a nice one to sort of go to since we might, we can probably compare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think um, there's a general challenge about how do you work with people in our field? It's always, you know, that, you know, Every day is different, isn't it? People are different, and and uh, it's always a challenge about finding a way in which how do you work with that group that's appropriate, you know? And yeah. you know, you make you know loads of mistakes, and you learn from mistakes, hopefully, and your mistakes are only disastrous to the people you're working with. So there's a, there's always these kind of challenges, but the key challenge, I think, that for me in that context certainly was working in schools, and that's ongoing. And I think it's interesting that um, increasingly now uh, youth workers, in particular. Uh, are uh, being much more directed to work in and with schools mm -hmm. uh, and as if that's unproblematic and you know I spent most of my career in that context uh, learning firsthand how there's great opportunities but there's also kind of challenges and the key challenge of course is that you know uh, we are we are essentially a, a distinctive educational uh, endeavour that's focused on informal education. It's focused on working with people to develop a curriculum that's based on their needs. Uh, we're we're in a formal school setting that is that's the opposite. You know, most and and of course, um, you know, one of the kind of ways in which you think about schools is the purpose of schools is to reinforce the dominant social relations, the kind of dominant set of ideas, and that dominant set of ideas is not about letting people have a say necessarily and, and being actively involved it's very much about and school is certainly is sit down do what you're told learn these things pass your exams and if you don't it's your fault so that's the kind of challenge isn't it and and then um, yeah. you know what working on a i mean i was i was one of two members was myself and a senior worker that were comed workers uh, in, a, in a in a school of 120 teachers uh, you know, so one of the challenges was we weren't recognised as educators. I remember having a conversation with somebody, who, a teacher who said, that's fine, Stuart, but, uh, you know, we're the real educators, we'll deal with this. You know, and you just think, oh, come on. 
Uh, my thing was um, at the start it was about reputation, you know. So yeah. like the the person who then I then came there was no one for a wee while. There was a wee sort of buffer, and it was that like the the reputation from the other person was that they didn't really know what they could do. They didn't know what they could yeah. offer. So it was yeah. that we don't really know if we trust you fully. So yeah. it was building that and it was showing yeah. them that we can do, what What can we do? What support can we offer? How can we help? Yeah. And actually showing, re-showing them the value in youth work and how yeah. youth work can be done properly within a school. And um, that was my first really six yeah. months was getting people to understand I'm not just the guy that will take them out of class and keep them entertained for half an hour. It's, no, we can actually provide these groups with these hard young people that have only sitting in classes, they only coming into school, but you know, we can bring in them into this space, into this environment and work with them properly to then hopefully get yeah. them back into where you are and, and doing that work. Um, and the big thing, that was just my experience, I don't know others, but it was a reputation because it was the, oh, well, if this guy is going to be like that person, then yes. don't really know if that's yeah. going to work. Then we made a success here and it was brilliant and you know, I still, my, my time there was great and um I do miss it. It was it was a great sort of learning experience for me to really sort of yeah. do that. And then the only to prefer my my reason for leaving is I felt like I needed a new challenge. I felt I achieved what I could achieve, and um, that was really it. I just I wanted a wee a wee change up, a change of scenery. It was great. Really, really like valued my time there, and I really, really value youth work in schools and with the right yeah. direction and done right. Again, it's it's immense the work you can do. I think I, mean, I think you've you've um, really put your nail on the head there, and that's that's kind of really kind of um, summed up exactly the kind of uh, exactly how you deal with the challenges that exist. It's being clear about what your purpose is, being clear about what you are as a as a, as a youth worker, as an educator, as about how we're going to work with these young people. You you know the kind of pedagogical approaches that you're going to take, and you can articulate that clearly to to other professionals. Uh, and and then doing that work, uh, you know, being led by kind of uh, theoretical ideas uh, and putting them into practice, I think that's the that's the key. I think that's really crucial. And you're right in terms of you almost need to kind of convince others that you're worthy of it. But you do that through both, you know, being having a professional approach. And that's why I think it's key that as 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 um, you know for, for students, uh, you know, this this idea that. Um, Theoretical ideas are not useful. It's just kind of awful, and you know I've got to learn it because I've got to pass my essays. But as soon as I kind of got into the field, all I've got a ticket to kind of practice because practice is the thing that counts. Uh, and you know that's so misguided because of course you can't separate the two. You know, mm. um, you know, very power. I mean, I'm a great. Um, uh, uh, student of Paulo Freire's work, and he's got a great. Um, phrase and pedagogy of the pre I mean, obviously he's talking about what we call praxis, you know, that kind of that, that um, interrelationship between theory and practice. And he talk, talks about how, um, you know, um, theory just on its own is kind of navel gazing, you know, it's just like blah, I think he kind of says. Whereas uh, practice without theory is just like you're running about uh, like a head headless chicken, you know, it's yeah. kind of meaningful. And you're not doing the people you're working with any any favors if you're just responding without thinking so um you need to kind of apply theoretical ideas to the practice situation can you do it yourself you put yourself into practice you know we can only as as academics introduce people to these key ideas it's up to students to kind of relate that to their own experiences and their practice experiences and how does practice shape the theoretical ideas but you need to be driven by that kind of clear 
idea of praxis. Uh, so I think if, you know, working in schools, if you can do that, then you do kind of, you know, begin to kind of demonstrate that you're a kind of, you know, competent professional. And I have to say, my experience of working with, um, a bit about what I see here, my experience sometimes of working with teachers is that they, they didn't really see that. Um, no. And whilst they claimed themselves as educators, you know, they wouldn't they, you know, I wouldn't send them to the shops for the messages as we used to stay in the garage. <laughs> that is true. And, and I think that that's part of that sort of thing that you almost need to, you almost need to sell yourself and also need to prove yeah. yourself where you shouldn't have to do that. You, we're all yeah. professionals. We're all educators. It's about understanding the, the, the approach that, community education and CLD actually brings can actually yeah. enhance and help the work that is happening in there and it's about being open-minded and a lot I think as well I think and I, I know that this has happened because I've had this conversation with multiple teachers it's they think we're just there for fun it's they don't yeah. they don't look at that well, what does that actually mean so maybe I've sat and played 30 minutes of snakes and ladders but actually it's that conversation that yeah. I've had with yeah. that young person about why are they not going to class? What um why are you arguing with your mum? What what is yeah. it with your stepdad yeah. that actually is really annoying you and you're getting, unpicking these issues and you're having these conversations, but they yeah. just see snakes and ladders. Yeah, but actually exactly. it's not, it's that process and that approach that and then it's like, no, you're just having a laugh. No, I'm no, I'm having a really actually in-depth conversation, yeah. which now I've gained this information, now we can support this young yeah. person appropriately. And it's yeah. about having that open dialogue and it's there's work to be done and i know that that's not the case for every single teacher there's definitely individuals that think that but yep. um we shouldn't have to over explain i suppose as well about what we do well i mean yeah yeah i mean i mean i'm just laughing because that's exactly my uh, experience i mean if i've got time i could tell you what i think is a funny story about exactly that which sums up that whole thing yeah, but i think we've, we've as long as we want okay but going back to that the, the point we made earlier about um um you know understanding but when you're going to work in a school you know how, how do you make sense of what you know as a professional how do you apply that in practice i uh because i hadn't had any experience of youth work i hadn't you know had never I'd been in a school, but I hated it when I was a young person. So to be a professional working in a school and being, you know, in first name terms and having really good conversations with the head teacher that was there, who was also, he claimed, a Marxist and was interested in kind of Paolo Freire and so on. So we had a real connection. Mm -hmm. This was bizarre because usually the head teacher was the one that was belting me, do you know? Uh, but I was a kid. So this was really odd. Um, and I, I, I had a kind of, not, I wouldn't say an existential crisis, but I certainly kind of, struggle to think how do i put into practice the kind of the, the, the political ideas that i have and the kind of the the ideas that i gain from my postgraduate course about cld or community education how do i put them into practice and i spent ended up actually writing an article for concept the um, community education journal that became ultimately i was editor of for, yeah. for, for, for some time but i uh, that so i wrote an article way back about a year or two years after i graduated which was tra me trying to kind of work out you know, what it means to be a, a comrade worker or a youth worker in a community high school. Uh, and I remember I kind of, um, one, of the, one of the phrases that I quoted in the article that often was told to me by folk that worked in the school was, I wish I had your job running about mad playing with bairns all day, you know? And that's what it seems like. But of course, what people didn't realise is, as if you mentioned, all the things that lie beneath that, you know, why is it we're, we're, we're doing that? 
so yeah, I think that's, uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, I tried to kind of work through um, that process. Um, and actually it was me trying to apply Paolo Ferry's ideas to youth work. And so I was trying to work out, you know, that kind of process. Um, so um, if people are interested, they could they could find that on a concept, I think, but it's a long time ago now. Anyway, yeah. um, the point I was going to make was I, I did a lot of work in youth strategy, which was Lothian region. I don't know what it's like in other areas, but in Lothian region at the time, uh, working with young people at risk of school, uh, risk of exclusion from school or community was called youth strategy. And um, we did a lot of work uh, in high school. And at one point it was recognised that we actually need to work with young people earlier. So we did work in primary schools. So I was working in this primary school in uh, Livingston, uh, myself and another colleague. And we did two groups. One was a kind of a group for young people that were kind of well, like self-esteem and were quiet and, and, and you know, were kind of quite often the ones that didn't get the support they need, you know. Mm. Uh, and we worked with another group, and this was a group that usually gets the support, is the young people that are acting out, you know, the ones that are chucking chairs about and fighting and, you know, the real concerns. So we did two groups. Um, and so um, my colleague and I, we were going to do this big um, team building, kind of working together kind of session. Uh, and... Uh, actually in the community centre next to the, high, to the to the primary school. Uh, so uh, this was planned uh, the week in advance and we told the teachers about it and so on. Uh, so we arrived on the, I arrived on the day to, to pick up the young people to take them to the to the session and the head teacher was really shamefaced and said, Stuart, we can't let the kids out today. The, the teachers have, have, um, are not wanting to go out because they've been really, they've been really misbehaved over this last week and they don't think they should get a treat by going to do this session with you. I'm thinking, well, um, it's no a treat. So anyway, cut long story short, basically oh, I thought, yeah. right, okay, let's leave that now, but I think we really need to meet with the teachers and yourself to discuss this. So of course the argument was, uh, we had a meeting with them and we, we made the point, this is not about bad boys and treats, this is, this is a kind of process in which we can help young people to kind of learn skills and, you know, uh, find out about themselves and so on. It's part of our kind of process in working with them. You know, it's it's led by kind of quite kind of clear ideas. It's not about bad boys and streets. So we, so I was given it kind of, or the theoretical stuff, yeah. and, you know, the professional kind of line. So cut to the next week, and uh, so we're in the room and we're doing a kind of warm-up exercise, which was kind of, we're just playing tig in the hall, basically. I don't know if you've ever played the game The Dying Fly, or Dying Fly Tig or something it's called. Basically, no. if, if you're tug, if, if, if you get kind of touched, right, that's you kind of out. So what you do is you lie on the ground and wave your arms and legs in the air. And the idea <laughs> is the people that are not, you know, that are still kind of free, can tig you, and you can get free, get it all, but try to develop cooperation and kind of looking after each other and so on. So anyway, this teacher, uh, this one particular teacher who was really, really critical of what we were doing uh, and, you know, was determined these kids didn't get treats. As I say, we were playing Tugger, I remember, I was like, I'd been Tugger, I was lying on the ground, but my legs in the air, oh, help me, help me. And here she walks through the halls, you know, and you could see her looking, looking at us just thinking, <laughs> professionals, <laughs> educators, you know. Uh, but yes, but that kind of undermines that, that underlines that thing about how they just um, the issues about power and about you know what's legitimate kind of educational approaches and you know what practice kind of suits people and yeah uh, so that's that was certainly the kind of challenge.
Yeah, definitely. Um, so then um, we've just sort of, we've got two mayor things we can just sort of run through, man. Yeah. Um, so where is CLD just now and where do you sort of see it changing, if you see it changing? Um, yeah, I think... The, the, I think that the, there is, as I said before, I think this that the COVID crisis is, is a crisis, but also in, in that presents really, you know, I think, um, opportunities. And I think uh, we've got an opportunity, I think, to, to really promote the kind of profession and put the idea about kind of supporting communities and people in communities at, at the centre of how we make things better. And I know that, for example, the uh, colleagues at the Standards Council are doing a lot of work to kind of promote that. Um, at various levels of um, uh, government, um, and that's a that's a good thing. I think the the bad thing in terms of where we are, and I think we've all, we've always been there to some extent, but over the last ten fifteen years, this is becoming increasingly so that we are in practice. Certainly, I think we're increasingly being kind of constrained and framed by um, you know the kind of austerity agenda. And particularly, you know, the kind of overarching kind of neoliberal consensus that, uh, you know, what, I mean, without getting too technical, wants to introduce the kind of free market ideas into everything. And, and what that means for us is the kind of, you know, the advent, uh, you know, what's called managerialism or performativity, that everything that we do has to be measured. You know, we have to kind of tick boxes. Uh, you know, it's all kind of led by funding. Uh, so what ends up happening, I think, is that um, who we're working with, why we're working with them and to a large extent what the outcome is is determined by you know somebody else it's determined by government priorities it's determined by uh, funders uh, and not as it should be <laughs> determined by the relationship we have with the people we work with you know it's about you know our, 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 our kind of profession is about working with people educationally to identify what their needs and aspirations are and building a learning program round about that and they decide what they want to do and they decide where they want to go and what what their outcome is and that in some ways that's that that's the uniqueness of the profession that the state want you know in relation to working with young people we are kind of seen as being we i mean the profession are seen as being good at working with young people and engagement and particularly the hardest to reach and the most marginalized but at the same time we're not allowed to do what we're meant to be doing, which is let's just decide what we want to do. They say, right, you're going to work with that group of young people, you're going to focus on their employability skills and that alone, or you're going to focus on them as, as, um, as you know, because they're antisocial behaviour. Uh, and quite often uh, you're kind of, I think, what the, so that's a limit. And that's not to say that these things are not important, but the kind of creativity, the opportunity for kind of flexibility that we have is constrained by this performativity. So I think that's a real challenge uh, uh, for us. Um, yeah, and I, th I think it makes it harder as well when um, a lot of external funding opportunities that are, are really competitive and it has to be yeah. when, you, when you're completing that bid, that is then the focus. So sometimes it's a case of you're, you've got a group of young people and you need to change the focus based on yeah. What access can you get if if you need money for a let for a community hall yeah. or if you need money for a fitma park and all these yeah. sort of things? So your focus can sort of change as well with that, which Absolutely, yeah. isn't always the right thing because. But ultimately, yeah. we need cash and you need money. So you're, you're, you're I suppose we're in this cycle where yeah. you need to apply and you need to do these things because then if you don't even do that, 
then you can't fund it. And then if you can't fund it, they've no got anything, but then you need yeah. to go back to the funder. So it's this, like position that we're in i suppose yeah. like it's how 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 can you break that cycle or what yes. what are the answers to that i suppose as well i think i mean i, I didn't want to get in this situation and about oh it was great in the golden age and certainly and but when you know when i first started the job i mean i you know I'd, i i think i had an incredible amount of kind of autonomy and of course that's one of the key things about being a professional is having autonomy to kind of make judgments and act and work in a way that you think professionally meets the kind of the, the, the kind of ideas and theoretical ideas that inform a uh, practice and of course this managerial kind of performativity culture cuts across that but when i was when i first started in the field you know i had a, I had a huge but it's terrible i had a significant budget that quite often was underspent and you know i could i could respond to things as i thought appropriate as a professional there was very little of that kind of you know this piece of this this project to do this uh, uh, by on its own uh, and of course I think uh, that's been constrained but that's not to say that uh, there isn't opportunities there and I think as long as as practitioners uh, we're clear about what the kind of constraints are and also we'll be able to find the small openings that we could still work to um, do the things we think are important as well as doing the kind of things you need to do to tick the box for the for the funders. So it's about us being creative and recognising that. But if you don't, but if you don't recognise you're in that position in the first place, then you might just end up doing things without thinking, and you're not kind of you're, you're not helping the people you're working with. My, my colleague, ex colleague Alan Mackey, who I think you might be having I, soon. Yeah, uh, Alan, who works in Dundee now. Alan, Alan say he we were doing our kind of doctorates at roughly the same time, and his was about um, part of the focus was on employability and what what he termed the churn and how you know there's a great kind of focus on employability skills. Young people are seen not to have employability skills, and of course you want young people to get a job. It's the fastest route out of poverty, but. Um, what was happening was that uh, the kind of work that was being done was quite often not in the interest, it wasn't kind of based on the needs of the young people, it was simply based on what employers thought young people needed to learn. And they did a kind of five or ten week course and at the end of it, it kind of went out, they didn't get a job and, you know, lo and behold, six months later they're back in that same kind of project again. So as a practitioner working in that, if you, and quite often I think what he was kind of identifying was that there was set programmes, set kind of, you know, educational kind of interventions that were you had to meet and if you just done that then it wasn't doing a young person any good but i suppose what i'm saying is if you're critical of that then you can find ways in which you can you can do the employability skilled stuff but you can also get folk to think critically about well you know why is why is there no jobs and what's the kind of situation or why is the kind of the wages so low and you know why is there are situations like zero hours contracts now so you can still kind of engage people in that process as well as putting them through the the tick box exercise that you you have to do i think that's the key and i think that's what's that's a kind of opportunity as well as a as a kind of constraint as um that's the reality today you can't avoid it you have to get that funding but yeah. what can you do that works underneath that and the small openings as they call it to kind of still to continue to do what you think is the professional approach yeah. if that makes sense no totally totally and, that, and that's how you just described that is how we i suppose operate and yeah. how we need to do it so it's it's pretty much what we need to do day to day and we're 
when we are doing these things. So um, I'd just like to take us in out of the last question. If yeah. that's all right. So I absolutely yeah. it's just the one that um, we put at the end of all the podcast. So it's just what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a career in CLD? Um I think the first thing I would say would be uh, and I've jotted down some notes here, if you want to work with others, so this is my advice, if you want to work with others uh, and you want to make change uh, to the to, to people's kind of circumstances and you want to change, change the way the world is at the moment with all its injustices and inequalities, then you've picked the best career. Because <laughs> that's what we're about. You know, we're about changing the world. How great is that as a kind of as a, as a job? Uh, about making them all a better place. Uh, and of course I've got an interest, I think, as somebody who works in HE now. But I would say that if you want to do that, then you need to equip yourself with all the intellectual resources possible in order to do that. So therefore, you know, uh, you know, go through, you know, get a get a I would recommend it to serve their time. That is, you know, the 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 you know, go to college, go to university to get a kind of good kind of training, a good intellectual training. And then um uh, you know that allows them to have all the kind of not only the practical skills but the intellectual skills that can make them a competent, you know, critically informed, ethical, reflective practitioner. And I think that's kind of that that would be the advice uh, I would give. And again, I think it goes back to the point made earlier. I, I think part of that process, in particular, to kind of to flourish in the current context of being framed by you know managerialism and performativity is is um, in particular pay attention uh, and be an expert in the policy context and the field you're working in because policy is always written kind of ambiguously and there's always kind of uh, um, room for interpretation but when I, when, I, uh, when I was working in West Lothian I did to say a lot of work around about learning for democracy and citizenship and I remember having a conversation with one of my kind of big bosses he was basically wanting to stop that whole thing and he kept on saying Stuart why are you doing this why are you working with young people to help them to to vote or why are you kind of supporting a people council or whatever and I was able to point to the policy context that talked about you know a uh, um uh, the curriculum for excellence is about uh, one of its key priorities is to 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 to, to produce um, responsible citizens that can take you know thoughtful yeah. participation and activity in in, in, in uh, life. You know, he says, "Why are you doing that?" Well, it's my job because look, this is what the policy says. So, uh, whilst there's always constraints, there's always kind of room for manoeuvre in the policy context and the wording and policies so, so ambiguous that you can. You can find justification for what you do. It might not kind of completely defend you, but at least you can argue your case. But if you don't have that, then you're the victim to you're you're, you're at the kind of mercy of you know managers who just want to get you know what they think is the is the job uh, done. So I think that that would be the advice I, I would give to uh, to people in on the field. Cool. Nice one. Listen, thanks very much for uh, joining us today, man. It's been really, really good to sort of get to know you and have this conversation. So I know you're not on Twitter that. Usually this is where I'll say where, where can folk get you in social media. So um, is, there, is there anywhere then they could contact you if anyone wanted to speak to you about the podcast? Um, well, I suppose um, they could. Um, if, the, if they Google, uh, you know, Stuart Moyer, University of Edinburgh, I think my, uh, my kind of university page comes up. So they'll get uh, contact detail uh, from from that and certainly yeah I mean if people are interested in 
um, you know, want to talk about some of the ideas that I spoke about, particularly, you know, youth work in schools or um, issues about active citizenship, then certainly please uh, get in touch. And actually, can I just make a very quick plug? Yes. Uh, I'm currently conducting research with a colleague uh, funded by the Gordon Cook Foundation, actually, on uh, the SQA exam uh, demonstrations that happened last year. And we're interested in talking to young people who took part in that. But looking at, you know, uh, how did that issue affect uh, their motivation to become active. You know, what was it that supported their activity, and also uh, if, it, if it in any way kind of developed their consciousness about injustice, and particularly did they think differently about disadvantage or social justice? Uh, so um, we're struggling to get young people to to um, uh, uh, take you know be involved in the research. Sorry, I'm getting my uh, tongue tied here. But certainly, if if anybody knows of young people that were involved in that. Uh, process, uh, then you know, encourage them to get involved in, in our research. Get in touch with me. I've got a wee, we made a short, very short video, which can makes it's basically an invite that yeah. I can send. I'll send the link to you if you can circulate that through. Totally, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll get that, that shared on Twitter. You'll get that. Send us uh, it, and then I'll get it up on Twitter, and uh, yeah. we'll try and get people involved. And I'll have a chat with some of the kids that we've got as well down in the centre. That'd so. be great. I mean, and, and, and it could be in any of them. I mean, if they were affected by it, or if they got involved in demonstrations, if the if they were kind of campaigning on behalf of other young people, if they lobbied a politician, if they signed a petition, you know, anybody who in any way was involved in that debacle, then uh, get in touch. We want to interview. Thanks very much, Stuart, for joining me this week on CLD Talks. It was great to get to know about your experiences and hear about the work that you do. Please head to the link in the bio where you can get Stuart's university page if you would like to contact him for any of the stuff that he spoke about in this podcast. And head over to Twitter, at CLD Talks, where you can join the conversation there and keep up to date with all information on the podcast. Thanks very much. Catch you next time.